Boat Trader, America's largest boating marketplace, offering easy financing and over 100,000 boat listings to choose from. Sell, find, and finance new or used boats on America's largest boating marketplace. Visit BoatTrader.com to get started. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. The 1911 is one of the most iconic firearms in history. Designed by John Browning, the 1911 was the standard-issue sidearm of the U.S. military from 1911 to 1985. While Colt produced the original, Almost every major firearm company has produced its own version. It's wildly revered for its reliability, crisp trigger, and is still a favorite for all types of shooters. Whether you're looking to buy or build a 1911 and just about everything for guns, log on to MidwayUSA.com. The big, the bad boy you're, you're going to want to always be on the look for is uh, widgeon with a completely white head, um, except for the green stripe, and that's what we call a storm widgeon. Not a different species. Uh, they're not sure if it has to do with age or genetics. I would say it's probably both. Um, but it, uh, by definition, unofficial definition. So hopefully everybody's heard of the, the famous storm widgeon. Welcome to the Foul Front Outdoors Waterfowl Podcast, where our goal is to recruit and educate new hunters while entertaining the rest of you. Without new hunters and the mentorship of those more seasoned, this passion as we know it faces an uncertain future. So get the word out, turn the volume up, and enjoy the show, because you're on the foul front. So yesterday was supposed to be the last day over 100 degrees. We've had 128 days over 100 degrees, and now it'll get down into like the, the 80s, and then in the winter it'll be down in like the 70s, and that's about as good as it gets. Awesome. So I miss, I miss <laughs> the football and the, and the cold nights and the... The fall, I guess you probably don't have fall yet, but um, I would say that we are enjoying some fall-like weather right now. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I mean, it was nice. Like yesterday, I went deer hunting and I stood up in my stand and I froze my butt off actually, like because I was uh, I was a little more cocky than I thought. I was like, oh, 50, 50, 54 degrees—that's nothing. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. It was something. So. <laughs> well, our uh, our mountain duck season opens uh, this coming weekend, and it's supposed to be, it's much cooler up there. It's supposed to be like high in the 70s and lows in the 40s, so that'll be, I think they get the seasons up there. But So you can go there. hunt the ducks at higher elevation. Yes, yeah, that, so that starts this weekend, and then two weeks after that is our desert opener, which is where I'm at. Right, right. Well, are you uh, you excited to get on some desert ducks? Uh, yeah, they're starting to move in. I've, I'm seeing more and more even in town. And then uh, sounds like I watched the uh, with all the like people that go birding and report what they see. Ornithologists. Yeah, I watch what they are seeing, and it looks like up north they've got pretty good push of pintail and widgeon and teal and stuff. And so. do you use eBird to do that? Yeah. Yeah. 
Who, who told you about that? I, I can't remember if it was you that told me or if I told you. I can't remember. I don't know. Maybe great minds think alike. I just started doing it because um, I got. I just started getting on like those Facebook birding pages. Yep. Just to see like what people were seeing and where it was like internet scouting. Exactly. Yeah. But, yeah, and uh, it, they've got a lot of. Man, that eBird is great. It's got. If you're looking it's got for maps. It's got. Yeah, it's got everything. You yeah. can look. You can even filter by specific bird. All right, everybody. Yeah. So this is my friend Tony White, and uh, Tony White and I met in college. I think he was hitting on my girlfriend at the then time. <laughs> uh, no, just kidding. Um, but no, uh, he's not. Kidding. <laughs> um, but anyways, me and Tony became fast friends, and uh, it turned out to be that Tony's some sort of uh, um, avid bird hunter. And um, you attempted to get me into duck hunting in college. Yeah. But, I mean, it didn't stick in college. Well, that's because we didn't, we were, we didn't shoot anything or see anything. I do remember that. We were sitting on the dam and uh, trying to scare out some buffalo heads and we could never get around to them. And then we went after that that and picked up a lab. So, yeah, we drove down to Wymore to Matt from High Prairie Sportsman's place and, or wait, was it his place or was it? It just... was, it was one of his friends. They had some uh, some yellow labs that they had just had a litter of, and they were giving them away. So we drove down there and got one and ruined the interior of your truck a little bit. But... My brand, my brand new. Uh, probably shouldn't <laughs> have bought this with my uh, like one percent interest loan that I got. Uh, <laughs> Ford F one fifty that I no longer have. So, yeah, brand new to me, I should say. Old Remy laid a big old deuce in the back. <laughs> so, all right, uh, let's you know fast forward. Um, you know, I got into you know waterfowl hunting in like 2013, and I, you were my digital mentor. <laughs> yes. Oh, yes, I remember that as well. You can so you I, can air it out. You can you can let the listeners know. No, is <laughs> um, yeah. When you when you first started down in what were you in El Paso when you first started? Yeah, and you you'd like send me pictures of these beautiful specimens, these southern ducks that are all fully plumed, and like, oh, what what is this one? And then I finally got one from you that was the most gorgeous cinnamon teal I had ever seen, and I was just like, ah. Oh. lucky, lucky guy. Go home right now. Put that in the freezer. Quit hunting. You're done. <laughs> No, I think what you did was you called me about an hour after I sent you that picture, and you said, you didn't breast that duck out, did you? <laughs> That's right. Yes. Yes. I said, no, no, I'm on my way home. I, I know that it's a I know it's a teal um, that you wanted. And I said, yeah, right. And then, yeah, I had I had to talk you into mounting it. And you're like, no, no, you can have it. I, 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 don't, I, don't, I don't want it. Like, uh, you might want to reconsider that. I'll give you some time. Just put it in the freezer and let me know what you want to do. Which is, and thank you. So, uh, absolutely. But yeah, no, you you got a cinnamon teal down now, don't you? I do. Yeah. So uh, a friend of mine and I went to California last year, and uh, we uh, we did pay a guide um, just so we could have better success than trying to do it on our own since it was limited hunt right uh we went down there for well we were down there 
really for a week, but we only went after cinnamon teal for a day and a half. And uh, we were trying to spot and stalk them through these cattails and these weird water treatment channels that were only about eight foot wide or so. And they're elusive little creatures. They get up in those cattails and they never come out. So didn't have any luck the first day. And then the second day we, we got on them pretty well. We each got two, I think. Right. And then we kind of drove up and down California, we hunted Northern California, Central California, shot a mallard on Facebook headquarters in San Francisco. On uh, Facebook headquarters? Well, legally, yes. It, it, it was a uh, it was a park duck, unfortunately, uh, that had come over to the 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 public hunting side. <laughs> And uh, it was about three times the size of a wild mallard, so we figured it was one of the Facebook ducks. We were right in their backyard. That's awesome. Now, when did you start hunting? And and I guess maybe we haven't prefaced this enough. Uh, Me and Tony are very good friends from college. Um, And Tony, where did you grow up? So I grew up, I grew up in, uh, central, south central Missouri. Uh, my dad is a, a quail biologist. So I grew up hunting upland birds my whole life, quail and pheasant. And, um, we had done a couple destination hunts to like Arizona and stuff, but I'd never really gotten into, um, waterfowl, uh, until college. And I, I have to mention this because I know as soon as Matt hears this, he's going to call me and say, why didn't you give me the credit? I just want everybody to know. Matt Zavlonik is the one that got me into waterfowl hunting. Uh, he was a great mentor. And uh, when I was in college, uh, it was probably was it freshman year, maybe a sophomore year, um, Matt uh, offered to take me out and uh, and show me the ropes on duck hunting. And it just as soon as he did that, it just kind of spiraled out of control. Um, and now I base everything I do on when the ducks are going to be here, where they're going to be. In fact, speaking to my wife about where we're going to live in the future and where we want to settle down um, is solely based on waterfowl hunting. She doesn't like that very much, but uh, I'll see if I can sneak in some some other reasons to uh, get her into it as well. Just that you'll be living right next to us. Just yeah, right, exactly. So we, we, we've got to have our, our 1,500-acre ranch with uh, plenty of prairie potholes full of ducks. That's, that's the dream. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Okay, so to, the intent and point of today's purpose is uh, to talk a little bit about taxidermy. Um, and then beyond taxidermy... Um, you know, besides how to pick one and how to prepare your, your duck for the taxidermist, it is to talk about, uh, I guess, trophy hunting um, in the duck world, right? Yes, um, yes, absolutely. Because, uh, you know, every everything that you hunt out there, there's some sort of trophy aspect to it um, that some people chase. And Tony is the one that, every time I send him a, a pile pick from the back of my truck or something, like, hey, check out how we did. And he's like, hey, third one from the left down. Can you uh, can you send me a better picture of that one? Um, and it's like, <laughs> zoom in on that one. It's like, oh my gosh! And then he's like, ah, oh, no, no, that's not what I'm looking for. That's not what I'm looking for. Um, <laughs> so you want to explain how you got into taxidermy? Yeah. Uh, so, uh, like I said, I, I grew up hunting 
uh, upland game mostly. And so for my dad took me on a trip to South Dakota for pheasant hunting, and uh, I brought back a gorgeous rooster. Um, and I, as soon as I got back, I looked up a, tax, a local taxidermist and uh, brought it to her and and uh, just said, "Do you mind if I watch how you do this?" And so from that that point, she kind of uh, took me under her wing and showed me. Showed me the basics of taxidermy, and, and I'd go back there and, and use her tools and um, just kind of hang out and mount some birds because um, I was too cheap to, to buy my own stuff in college. Um, and then I kind of expanded uh, after college when I was in medical school. I started taking uh, customer birds. I'd always taken you know for a, a bird from a friend or, or my brothers or something. Uh, but then I kind of opened a business that got a little bit out of hand um, over the last three or four years. Um, and so that's kind of, I, I kind of had to slow that down and uh, stop taking in so many birds, um, especially now that we've moved out of state. But uh, I tried my hand at deer taxidermy and, and, and didn't like it. Um, so I've stuck with mostly waterfowl, some upland um but in general, just bird taxidermy for the last eight years or so. Um, and uh, I've gone uh, and taken a class with a couple of world champions um, in an attempt to make myself better. Uh, I don't know if it really helped or not, but uh, I learned, I've learned a lot along the way, and, and I've had good practice and, and lots of uh, tries, we'll say. So I, haven't, I don't have a perfect product yet, but I'm working on it. This week's episode is brought to you by the following partners. Hunt Hickory Creek. New to Hunt Hickory Creek this year is their Central Kansas Lodge. They're going to be running hunters from the end of October all the way through January. And they're situated right between Kavira and Cheyenne Bottoms, which combined can hold hundreds of thousands of birds at a time. And these guys are going to work their tails off. you got Chase, you got Cody, you got Scotty, and then you've even got um, Megan in there taking pictures. Guys, if you're going to be traveling outside of your state, um, and you're going to pay for guide service, don't roll the dice. Come into our Facebook group, pick Chase or Scotty or Cody's you know, brain, figure out who they are, and uh, make sure that you're going to be booking a hunt with them because they're not just awesome guides. They're great people. They're going to show you a great time. So if you're going to hunt Kansas, hunt Hickory Creek. We're also brought to you by Dive Bomb Industries, the fastest growing, most affordable decoys on the market with unmatched customer service. And you can find them on Facebook, Instagram, or DiveBombIndustries.com, and you can find Asher in our listeners group. And get yourself into a large, effective, affordable, and easy-to-set-up spread. It takes about a minute uh, to set about a dozen, and they take up no space in the garage or truck. They're tough, extremely realistic, and go get yourself twice the decoys at the price, none of the hassle. Um, also brought to you by Toe Tags LLC. Now, federal... Migratory game bird laws apply in all 50 states. That includes yours, which includes gifting and tagging laws. Make sure to keep your birds separated and or tagged when transporting or storing them uh, with other hunters' birds. Now, this includes from the field to home as well. Gifting in the field, though commonly done, never legal. Uh, it must be done at the donor or donee's personal boat. Hey, for other helpful hints and to keep yourself legal, go check Toe Tags LLC out on Facebook or you can hit up Ryan. Um, in our Facebook group, um, where you can head on over to toetagsllc.com. It's 
So have fun, be safe, and keep it legal. We're also brought to you by Athlon Optics, which produce some of the finest shooting scopes and binoculars on the market. Their ED glasses top-notch and rivals the glass of binos three or four times their price. You're going to be able to pick a goose out in an impression from half a mile with these things. I'm telling you, they're tough, sturdy, and this is where Athlon Optics goes above and beyond their lifetime warranty, which is critical for us waterfowl hunters. I sport the Midas 10x42, and I'm extremely pleased with them. So head on over to Athlon Optics and get yourself a top-of-the-line binocular system for this season at a fraction of the price and a no warranty, a no worries warranty. We're also brought to you by Freelance Hunt Stats, and I got to tell you, I'm really excited to be using Freelance Hunt Stats this year. Um, if you've never logged your hunts in the past, start doing it, um, especially with FreelanceHuntStats.com, because it's not just a journal. This thing can catalog all of your information, and you can go back. You can look at like how you do on sunny days. It's going to be a game changer for you. So head on over to FreelanceHuntStats.com and start logging your hunts this season. We're also brought to you by duck nuts. And I've been finding duck, um, decoy rigging systems since I started wrapping, coiling Texas rigs. Talk about a pain in the butt. I work hard. Don't get me wrong. But at the end of the morning, it's time to go home and duck nuts allows me to do that so that I can rig my decoys that all I got to do is throw them in a bag. And with our friction system, it's too easy to just pull the line and pack it up and, or just throw them out. It, It, it allows you to adjust for depth, and if you're tired of fighting your decoy rigs, head on over to ducknuts.com and use your 10% off code with Foul Front um, discount code. We're also brought to you by Gypsum Creek. Now, Gypsum Creek is a full-service gun dog training facility in the heart of the Midwest, and they are looking to build eager, confident, and reliable field companions through a unique approach that you don't find at many other places. So come check out Gypsum Creek Retrievers on their Facebook um, or Instagram, or you can hit up Evan, the owner, in our Facebook group. And I promise you, this guy loves your dog more than you do and loves teaching them how to retrieve more than you do. Um, I got to spend a uh, weekend out with them, and it was an awesome time, I'm telling you. Um, the What they got going on over there, that's where you're going to want to send your dog. All right, we're also brought to you by the DuckTech mobile app. Um, increase your odds of success in the blind this year with the DuckTech mobile app. Three-time world ch- duck calling champion barney caleb teaches you how to make the most important duck sounds and what they mean to a duck and when to use them the most important part duck tech is also available to download on the app store and google play with the season approaching get the app today so you can put more ducks on the strap tomorrow we're also brought to you by srb field rests no matter what where or how you hunt srb srb field rests got you covered uh, they're going to keep your shotgun rifle or your bow or your crossbow safe clean and ready for the uh, in the field or on the range. Waterfowl hunters in a dry field, a muddy field, marshes, flooded fields, or flooded timber. SRB Field Rests has you covered. Go check them out. They've got a 10% discount code for you with Fowl Front, all under case, one word. We are also brought to you by Gunner Kennels, the market's only double-walled, roto-molded dog crate and five-star crash-tested rated kennel. These American-made boxes come with a lifetime warranty, and the guys over at Gunner Kennels have done some crazy stuff to show you how strong they really are, like dropping 4,000 pounds on it, hammering it with a 630-pound sled, and tossing it off a 200-foot cliff and shooting it with a 12-gauge shotgun with zero bullet penetration. You're hitting the road uh, with your dog this season. Gunner Kennels is your safest bet. Uh, Protecting your best friend and your investment. So head on over to GunnerKennels.com. We're also brought to you by HTR Innovations, and you have not heard of them yet, but um, I am hunting out of their A-frame this year, and they have 
one of the slickest um, inventions I've seen um, for waterfowl hunting. It's an awesome little gun stand for the marsh. Um, and go, So go check them out at htrinnovations.com. Also, here's another big thing for you. Do you absolutely hate laying in your layout blind? Well, they got something for you. So go check them out. Um, and our good buddy Jordan over there, he's going to be doing all their filming this year. Looking forward to seeing what they got. Okay, let's get back into this week's episode. I remember when you tried conning me into doing my own taxidermy. Um, and you told me, hey, yeah, just go, you know, get one of the birds, save one of your birds from today. And then, you know, you were explaining to me how I, I can't remember what method it was. And then I, I texted you back and I said, damn it, this is the hardest thing I've ever done. Um, yeah. I, oh, I remember that. I couldn't get it. And, when, and then uh, I, I told you, I was like, and you're like, well, what kind of bird was it? And I was like, a ring neck. And you were like, well, that's your issue. So. <laughs> Yeah, no, I I had forgotten about that. You, yeah, you were trying to skin it, and and I was like, well, you you skin from the head first, and then pull the neck out, and you're like, oh, oops, I kind of didn't you pull the head completely off? Uh, I think I started from the back or something. Uh, um, that's it, yeah. Because I thought there's no <laughs> way I'd like deface this thing and then and then work. It. I don't. Cause you end up turning the bird like, completely inside out. Yeah. We just decided it's too hard to describe over the phone, so just waiting on you to come for a in-person lesson. <laughs> well, I think my wife would kill me if I picked up one more hobby or side gig yeah. or something. So, yeah, especially because our wives know each other, and and uh, if if she finds out, she'll get an earful from my wife. Because I here we are, we we moved to Arizona, and I don't have a place a specific room to put all my birds. So I'm trying to like compromise with the wife. Well, we can put a wood duck would, would look really good in here against your painting of France or whatever. And it's, it's slowly, it's slowly working, but I don't know what I'm going to do with my big cases full of birds. So, well, you can, you can get, ship some to Kansas if you want. I know my wife, um, she actually, uh, enjoys the taxidermy downstairs in the basement. Um, yeah, but I, that is a blessing. <laughs> yeah, it, it's it's probably I only have. Ow, oh man, <laughs> I was walking down my stairs and I just ate ate it. Um, <laughs> I'm not even going to edit that out. Um, but anyways, uh, it's probably because I just only have one and it's a cinnamon teal. So yeah, well, I mean that is arguably the best bird you could have gotten mounted. So. <laughs> Well, I th- I think next I'm going to get a big old widgeon. Um, oh yeah, just I, I I like the cotton tops. So yep, they're a gorgeous bird. They're very detailed, for sure. They're by far my favorites. Well, should we uh, get into the meat of the episode here and talk about um, well, one, what you can do to prepare for a taxidermist, and then uh, two. Um, what you need to be looking for in a taxidermist. Yes. Um, these are two of the most important things um, that I, if I'm not repeating myself over and over and over, somebody on on a Facebook group is repeating themselves over and over and over, and it seems like um, it's 
it's something that needs to be stressed and, and it's something that needs to be kind of like common knowledge of what to do. So say you shoot um, your prime specimen, your trophy bird, the top of your bucket list. You want to make sure it's in 100% prime condition when you take it to the taxidermist. There are things that the taxidermist can do uh, to, you know, if if he's missing a feather or if you, you shot one of his uh, primary wing feathers off or he's dirty or he's got blood on him, whatever, that's, that's all fixable. Um, but there's very important steps you need to take um, to make sure that you give the best product to your taxidermist so they can give you the best product back. So we'll say you just shot um, a duck and not quite dead, still kind of flopping around, um, and you want to finish it off. Um, one of the biggest things that people are starting to go to now are those finishers. Um and it's it's like the little spike that you drive into the back yeah. of the head. Uh, that is very, 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 very few taxidermists I've ever talked to are okay with that method, uh, simply because it just creates another hole in a very, very difficult area to cover up. Uh, if you screw up any of those head feathers, they're so fine and delicate that uh, it'll be evident on the final product. So try as hard as you can to put as little um, damage into the head as possible. Uh, the second thing people do, um, which is a big, big no-no, and it's kind of obvious, is, is wringing the neck. Um, you never want to wring the neck again because those feathers are very fine and delicate, and uh, there's almost no way to cover that up uh, in, a, in the mounting process uh, once you kind of pull those feathers out. Uh, from the ring. Uh, and then finally, I've, I've even witnessed it in person. I wouldn't uh, believe it was a real thing unless I had seen it myself, but some people bite the heads, um, of the ducks to, to finish them off, um, to crack their skulls. Uh, again, <laughs> not a good idea. You've got those very delicate feathers there. Um, so the best way to finish off a cripple and to keep all the feathers intact is to lay them on a solid surface, the ground, whatever, um, on their belly, and then either kneel or press with both hands on their back um, with actually quite a bit of pressure um, until they expire. This basically suffocates them. Um, it sounds brutal, but it actually goes pretty quickly, and it doesn't rip out any feathers, and it doesn't ruffle anything up as long as you do it correctly. Uh, that's that's about the best way to finish one. Um, so that, uh, that's your first step is make sure, make sure it's done. And, uh, you want to get, if you're hunting with a dog, you want to get it away from the dog. Um, uh, everybody thinks their dog's perfect, but I've been in plenty of situations where we've got, um, some trophy birds that we plan to take back. And then the dog is sitting over there pulling breast feathers out for fun because it's bored. So, Get it away from the dog, put it in your blind bag, whatever. Um, if it's hot outside, uh, try to keep it out of the sun. Don't put it in an enclosed container in the sun. Uh, kind of obvious stuff. You want to keep it as cool as possible because that that uh, bacterial formation starts like as soon as it dies, and, and it's kind of a race against the clock at that point. Um, and then when you get home, uh, you're going to want to uh, – 
freeze it correctly. Uh, and this I, I've explained to people many, many times. Uh, the, the bill, the colors on the bill, especially for like a redhead or a ring neck or, or the sea ducks like the, the white winged scoters that have all the detail. Um, we need to preserve that as much as possible. So when we're hand painting the, the artificial bill, um, those colors come out more accurate and more realistic. So the best way to do that is to wrap a, a damp paper towel. It doesn't have to be dripping wet. You don't have to get the whole bird wet. Um, but wrap a damp paper towel over both the bill and the feet. And that'll preserve the colors and, and kind of think of it as like exposed skin. It's going to get frostbite and it's going to kind of turn black and die, uh, in the freezer if it's not protected. Okay. Uh, and then, uh, some people I've seen freeze it with the neck sticking straight out. Um, that's dangerous because when it's frozen solid, um, I've also seen, you know, you drop it or it falls down in the freezer or you, you plop something heavy in on top of it in the freezer and the neck just snaps in half. And that it, while that's fixable, that's an extra thing um, that could potentially uh, ruin your mount uh, in the end. So a lot of people tuck the head uh, under the wing. That's okay. It tends to kind of ruffle up the, the feathers under the wing. Um, I prefer to just lay it straight over the back and then uh, put it in a Ziploc freezer bag. Very important. Do not use uh, pantyhose. Uh, do not use Walmart bags. Don't, <laughs> Who does don't Walmart wrap bags? It. Yeah, Ben. <laughs> don't wrap it in newspaper or butcher paper or anything like that. Uh, newspaper and, and stuff like that wicks out basically any moisture and accelerates the freezer burn process. So a Ziploc freezer bag, um, big enough to close around it. And I even double bag mine just to be safe because if you, if, you need to save up some money uh, before you take it to the taxidermist or uh, you need to do your research on the taxidermist um, you want to use. And it's going to be a while before you can take it there. I would basically freeze it uh, for the apocalypse and, and double bag it, double wrap it. Some people even wrap it in uh, saran wrap before they, they bag it just to seal in all the moisture. Um, because what freezer burning is, is, uh, uh, it basically sucks all the moisture out and then it, uh, it freeze dries it, uh, and it does it from the outside in. So protecting the bill and the feet and then the, the, the inner layer of fat just under the skin on the bird is the most important part in the freezing process. Um, yeah. So, and then a lot of people ask how long it can be stored like that. As long as you do it correctly, you've sealed it really well. Um, you've got everything protected. Uh, I've had birds for, I want to be careful saying this because it could get uh, stretched out a little bit, but I've had birds, I've heard people have birds for six, seven, eight, you know, up to 10 years stored that way. Uh, I wouldn't, I wouldn't recommend it um, because you're still, you know, after three or four years, you've got some aspect of freezer burn going on. And that makes the skin much tougher to work with and tougher to uh, groom and make look like an actual duck uh, in the mounting process. So, you know, it, it is safe for an extended period of time, several years, uh, but I wouldn't recommend going anywhere past, you know, two or three years just to be safe. Okay. And so we've covered what to do with your trophy, uh, how to prepare it. 
and now you want to look for a taxidermist. Um, the good thing nowadays is we've got social media. You can basically do internet scouting of taxidermists, look at their work, um, get recommendations from other people. Uh, their Facebook groups, Duck Mounts and More, uh, Waterfowl Taxidermy Tips and Techniques, um, with, that are loaded with, uh, taxidermists posting up, uh, their products. And, uh, uh, it's, it's really easy to find a good taxidermist nowadays. So you don't have to just settle for the guy across the street. Um, that's not to say you shouldn't check out the guy across the street. He could be phenomenal. And that would make it so much easier on you. But that's what guys tend to do is, uh, just go with the easiest option. And then they're almost universally dissatisfied with what they get back um, because they didn't do their homework. So check out um, check out your local taxidermist. If you can stop in their shop and see their work in person and really look at it, one, does it look like a duck? Two, do the feathers look clean? I know there's a lot of um, cheaper taxidermists out there that uh, just kind of throw it together and it's not real clean and you'll – you'll run into problems with bugs down the line that are wanting to get in that fat and it basically destroys the mount. So um, this is going to be hopefully something that lasts a lifetime, if not more. So you're putting in a couple hundred dollars, maybe several hundred dollars into a mount. So you want to get the best product possible back. Um, I always tell people, don't be afraid to look out of state. It's really easy to ship a bird. Uh, ben has shipped what, two, three, four, five birds to me? Yeah, and then, of course, every time I fly home, I always have some sort of freezer in my carry-on with a... Mm-hmm. Just so you know, you can fly uh, You can fly with birds. Yep, I do it all the time. <laughs> they give you some weird looks when they x-ray it, uh, but uh, you just tell them it's for taxidermy, and they, they tend to leave you alone. But... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, look out of state, look at, uh, look at those Facebook pages, look online, um, and really compare, you know, if they've got a flying mount, compare their picture of a flying mount to a real duck. Uh, some people that don't have a trained eye are, uh, willing to accept whatever, but then you run into problems of, of, uh, grease leakage and, and bugs getting into the fat and, and ruining your mount. So it's really important to do your homework so you're not disappointed in the end. Um, you can ship ducks uh, for overnight for 20 bucks. Um, you can fly with ducks. You can uh, basically do whatever you want. As long as you can find a way to keep it frozen the entire time, uh, it's doable. Um, and there's people that have done it. So uh, that would be my recommendation. Um, of course, if uh, any of your followers have questions on that or if they shoot a duck and they're not sure if it's a uh, uh, trophy specimen post up pictures in the group i'm happy to uh, uh look at it and, and give you my recommendations based on that but that's that's the the long and short of it what's the um, well what's the difference between a guy that's you know you get 200 bucks and a guy that's charging uh, 800 bucks good good question i'm glad you brought that up actually a lot of people so <laughs> you'll see on these taxidermy pages, a lot of people say, yeah, well, my guy does it for a hundred bucks and, and he does a great job. And then, um, if they're happy, if whoever's paying that is happy with, with the job, um, that's wonderful. But from what I've seen, you really do get what you pay for. Um, there's, there's always 
the uh, the outliers that are that are crazy. I know in Canada they charge like three times what we charge here just because they can, and there's not really an option because you can't. I don't. I'm pretty sure you can't ship birds across um, the line. Yeah, something with U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service. Yep. Yep. So um, there there are people that charge you know way more than they should. Uh, so be aware of that. The average. Uh, price for just a, a straight up duck, you know, standing, flying, doesn't matter, a mallard, a widgeon, a wood duck. The average price now is around $300. A couple of years ago, it was 250 and there's still a lot of guys that do it for 250 and do a great job. Um, but don't be afraid to look at the guys that are up to 350 375 um, There's a reason they charge that much. And it's one, it's because, um, they take their time. They have a lot invested in each bird. It's not just an assembly line. Uh, I know a lot of guys that that uh, make plastic casts of the feet so they don't have shrinkage. So their their uh, their feet, the paint adheres better, and it just looks better overall. And there's there's guys that use specific paint methods that that are more realistic that cost a lot more money. So just to kind of depending on on what you want to get. Remember, you're you you have this for hopefully the rest of your life and you have to look, you're the one that has to look at it. So um, base your price range off of what you can afford and you can, you can find it anybody in any price range, but the average is around, um, you know, $300 uh, for just a basic duck. When you get into the geese, uh, they are a nightmare to work with. Um, they're big, they're fat, they smell horrible. Um, they're just they're a mess and they take at least twice as long maybe three times as long uh so you don't be surprised if you're paying 500 to 800 bucks for a, a big canada goose so it, it just kind of depends on the region and who you're working with and what techniques they use but i would just in general unless you know somebody that's that's uh doing work locally that you can go view yourself i would stay away from the hundred dollars hundred fifty dollar range uh just based on quality right uh i know people are always shocked when i you know first tell them oh it's gonna cost you about you know 300 bucks they go oh man really because i take out a lot of new hunters and i say yeah um and then (laughs) the second thing they get shocked with they're like yeah so when will we have it and i said oh i don't know (laughs) like six months and yeah, at least what yeah yeah turnaround time that's that's what a lot of people i've had people specifically ask what takes so long and it's <clears throat> it's not the process itself it's uh it's always a backlog i mean i can i can if i go shoot a duck this morning i can bring it home skin it in half an hour get all the fat off of it get it all clean prepped and ready in another couple hours and then mount it in another four or five hours so it's, it's possible to do it in a day. The problem is you get guys that bring in uh, three, four birds at a time, uh, and you get life that gets in the way. I mean, every taxidermist I know has a family and, and is usually a part-timer and you know has another job that they work during the day. So these are nights and weekends, people. So don't be also don't be surprised if, if you have to wait up to 18 months um, for to get your bird back. Um, some guys are up to two years. I know the really popular Birdman. Um, I think he's in Illinois. Um, he he's up to two years. Some people say they've waited as long as three years. It's a great service. He's got a great product. Um, 
but if you if you if you don't want to wait that long there's always um there's always another guy and like i said you can you can ship it wherever in the u.s and get it done by whoever you want and it's the other thing is it's it's a hassle for the taxidermist um, just because we, we have to make sure it's, it's extremely safe for the ride, but it is definitely possible to ship a finished mount to the customer as well. And that's, that's probably, I would say, 90% of what Birdman does uh, is take in mail, mail order stuff and ship it back out. Um, Jeez, so, that'd be nerve-wracking packaging that. Yeah, I've done it. I, I shipped two birds to your friend up in uh, Pennsylvania. And, uh, well, his parents and that, uh, I was, I was biting my nails until I got the call that they got there safely and, and everything was okay with them. But that's, uh, I, I hadn't done, really done that much before. So I was, I was scared, but there's guys that do it all the time. So these are all factors con- to consider price, um, length of time, but the biggest factor, um, that should be whether or not you go with a certain taxidermist is quality. Sure. So. I get that. And uh, it's it's just a hard bullet to initially bite off on to understand, I think. Um, especially, you know, for me, I, I mean, that was a very, that lesson was only learned a few years ago. So, um, but it also helped that I had uh, a buddy that uh, did taxidermy. So. And did it cheap back then. That's right. <laughs> so here's That's a, a if, if anybody, here's the real um advice here um go back to college find a guy that is going to get into taxidermy pay for all of his beer and some of his meals and oh, yeah. uh you know have him do taxidermy on the cheap for you oh yeah get in good with your taxidermist that's probably the most important life lesson they'll treat you right yeah. um that's 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 the other thing um you can so you can shoot a bird get it all prepped and and uh if you have a taxidermist in mind um but need a little time to to uh, save up some money. Uh, a lot of people, a lot of taxidermists charge a uh, uh, a deposit. Some of them don't, um, and especially if you know them pretty well, uh, some of them may not charge you. Um, but I would I would say it's important to get the bird to the taxidermist as quickly as you can, just to make sh- so they can make sure that it's prepped and packaged correctly, and there's not going to be any problems. Um, because if, if say you, uh, put it in the freezer and, and maybe didn't seal the bag well enough and you wait three years to bring it to a taxidermist, um, it's basically, uh, exposed to open air in the freezer. And so that, that bird is, it, while it's still workable, it's not going to come out near as nice as, as a bird that wasn't. So I would say get the bird to the taxidermist as quickly as possible. Um, just let them know that you want to save up some money and they'll, they'll hold it for you. But at least, you know, that way it's in good hands and it's going to be treated right. Um, and a lot of these guys have, um, temperature alarms on their freezers. So, you know, if the freezers go out, they know, whereas how many, how often do you go to your deep freeze and check to make sure it's still working? I do it every day. I do it like, yeah, I do it like three (laughs) times a day, but some people might not do it for a couple of weeks. And by that point, kind of, you're done. And SOL, yep. So I've heard of many, many people, uh, people with mallard pintail hybrids, people with these crazy ducks that uh, their freezers went out and they didn't know it, and they lost it, totally lost it. So um, that would be what I would do. Um, and then you want to talk about uh, 
kind of trophy taxidermy, right? Yeah, trophy aspects. So, you know, um, I think every species has its, like, one thing or two things that you can really judge it, uh, the specimen, based off that. Absolutely. Um, that's, a, a, again, on these on these taxidermy forums and, and Facebook groups and websites and stuff, there's always people posting as soon as duck season starts in October or September or whatever. Uh, is this a good bird? Is this mature? Should I mount this? Um, so I'll just give a couple um, pointers for each, uh, some of the main species to look for. Um, it'd be nice to, to show pictures, but uh, again, if, if, if you guys have questions on, on birds, feel free to post them up in the group. I love seeing pictures of, of other people's success because I, I don't get to hunt as much as I used to. So um, it's one, nice to see that, and two, I give you some recommendations and pointers on what to look for. Uh, for each specific bird, but uh, right. So let's start with uh, the teal, um, and it sounds it looks like you've got kind of followers from all over the country. Is that correct? Yeah, that, that every all fifty states. I don't know oh, about Hawaii, oh. but um, but yeah, um, oh. everybody. It's a very eclectic group in there. Okay, so I will make just a kind of a general statement. Um, and it's not really fair, but it's just the, the way of the world. The southern hunters, basically southern birds, are much better quality than the northern birds, simply because the, the seasons in the north, like Wisconsin and, and all those places up there, they I think their season ends in like December or something, and that's really when the birds start turning over and, and getting good. Um, you will shoot birds um, in late October, November, that are pretty good specimens. Uh, but as someone who is extremely uh, picky about birds, and I tend to try to wait until the very, very end of season, because you, you can't get better than a January 31st uh, specimen of any species, basically. So that's just some general things to keep in mind. Southern birds um, tend to be a little bit more plumed out because the season's later um, and they, uh, you know, they're down there for the winter and then they're on their way back up. So it just, just happens that way. So a lot of, a lot of guys go down to Texas, Louisiana, um, hell, California. Uh, I don't think anybody comes to Arizona specifically to duck hunt, but. Um, except you. Except me. Here <laughs> I am. I wanted that cinnamon teal. So let's start with cinnamon teal. Um, these, I think, you know what, if you shoot a cinnamon teal, mount it. I don't care what it looks like. Um, they're not, they're not rare. That's the thing, but, uh, they're, they're a bucket list species for almost any waterfowler. And for the most part, it's just little picky things, uh, picking out, uh, the prime specimens versus, uh, the less than prime. And it's basically the color. Uh, so older, more mature. When I say mature, I mean, age-wise i don't mean season so more mature you know three four five eight year old uh cinnamon teal are darker kind of a brick red in color um whereas the younger guys tend to be a little bit more bright orange um and you you, you don't know unless you really put one put one of each next to each other that's about the only way to tell them apart do you remember what uh, mine was yeah yours was a nice old brick red one another thing you can look at is the the belly uh, they all have kind of a dark grayish, blackish, brownish belly. Um, but the, the, 
the mature old guys get they get more black as they age. So they've got like a black, they're almost like a black belly tree duck. Um, there's black belly and then a dark brick red, uh, basically everywhere else on the body. Um, you see if, if you're not shooting because they tend to be more Southern birds, if you're not shooting them later in the season, um, you'll see, um, little immature feathers scattered around, especially in the, the side pockets, which are those, those big uh, fluffy feathers on the sides that they tuck their wings into. Um, look for brownish, um, brown striped feathers. They tend to be more rounded uh, than mature feathers. If there's a, a few of them, uh, taxidermists can always pluck them out and you won't know the difference. Um, but if there's a big gob of them, uh, tend to pick poses that hide them a little bit. So maybe, maybe a preening pose, whereas uh, instead of a, uh, a uh, uh, flat out standing post where those side pockets are exposed. So just a few little picky things on those. Um, and then blue wings. Uh, well, hold on. I'm going to, I have a tertiary question I want to ask for each species. Uh, All right. Sorry, yes. You, you get a, uh, you get a great looking cinnamon teal in. What, what pose are you putting it in? So, okay. So I've, Debated this. It's been like an internal debate with me for a very long time. Um, what I like better, flying or standing, just in simple terms. And no matter what it is, I always tend to think a fly or a standing pose, uh, looks much better than a flying pose. Of course, you can get into like the crazy flying poses where they're turned and flipped and, and they're coming in hard or they're cupped or whatever. Um, as opposed to just a, a run of the mill flying pose where they're plastered against the wall. Um, but, with standing, you get to see um, basically every feather on the bird. You can have a little bit of a wing out for like a resting pose or, or a preening pose. So you get to see the colors on the wing as well. But but you really get to sh- see the size and the shape and the colors on the bird the best in a standing pose. That's my opinion. Um, the, the problem with standing poses is finding real estate to put them on the wall. Mm-hmm. Um that's my problem because <laughs> you basically have to have a branch or something sticking out of the wall uh, to be able to hang them up. Otherwise, it's going to be a tabletop mount. So that's that's the downside of, of uh, standing mounts. But um, I, I do prefer the look of them in in almost every way as opposed to a flying mount. So with the cinnamon teal, it's going to be a standing mount. For sure. Yeah. Okay. Gotcha. For sure. Um, if if I were to do a flying mount, just for those who are who just prefer flying mounts, I would have it um, either either going sideways or flying like away from you into the wall or flushing, kind of like we did with yours, Ben. Just anything basically to show off the back. I've seen people um, mount them. And you know it's 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 whatever you want to do, but you you want to show off the the best side of the bird, and that's by far the the back with the scapular feathers and the wings uh, on the cinnamon teal that have all the detail and the colors. So um, choose what works best for you, but that's uh, that's what I would be doing. All right, so on to the blue wing teal. Yes, blue wing teal. This is an obvious one. We've all seen pictures of fully plumed blue wing teal. Uh, when they come back in the spring, very few of us get the opportunity to harvest one like that. Um, seems like you need to go to Texas or Florida 
Louisiana, one of the coastal states, um, to get that opportunity because they're not they're not coming back until mid to late January. Um, they're not starting their reverse migration until then, so you really don't get the the colors unless you're down there. Um, of course, you can always go birding and, and take pictures of them when they come back to your state in the, the spring, but uh, unfortunately we can't harvest them then. So if, if you do get the chance to harvest a, a, a plumed out blooming teal, look for the head will be kind of a gunmetal gray color. Um, and of course you've got the, the white crescents on the cheeks, but look for the purple iridescence in the head. That's kind of a, uh, an indicator that he's, he's got his breeding plumage on and he's ready to go. Um, the other thing to look for on them is uh, um, sometimes those crescents, uh, the really, really, really good ones, uh, is very rare, but the really, really good ones, uh, the white crescents actually uh, continue on past the face onto the back of the head and neck and coalesce into like a white line, almost like a wood duck. So uh, right. if you got one of those, yeah, definitely. I've seen pictures. I've never – I've seen one mounted. Um, and I've seen pictures of some live ones, but unfortunately I've never, never harvested one, but, um, that would be the big thing to look for there. Uh, otherwise it's pretty straightforward. Um, green wing teal, uh, these are a lot more common, uh, to get in, in good plumage. Uh, again, like everything else, they don't really fully, fully plume out until, uh, mid to late January. Uh, they don't really lose their eclipse plumage fully until late December. You'll see those kind of, they almost look like hen feathers, like in the, on the back and in the side. Uh, they're, they're rounded and they're brown and they're striped and they're, they're kind of funny looking against the gray background of the rest yeah. of the feathers. Um, but, uh, once they lose those, they make a great, I mean, mount, mount whatever you want. Mount it if it's a, a, a memorable specimen for you or if, or if you just, never get the opportunity to shoot another one mounted but uh if you can wait until they lose their uh eclipse plumage and then towards mid to late january they get a solid black stripe um down the scapular feathers which is uh the long uh feathers down the back that cover the wings uh there'll be a solid black stripe and that's uh that's how you know that that one is all done and ready to go and with the blue wing and green wing, um, I'm choosing uh, a standing mount on those as well, only because I would do them all together, mount them all together in one and like scene. a little trio. Yeah, yeah, sure. I'm working but, towards that too. So, yeah, but green mine will be flying, I think. So, yeah, they, and don't get me wrong, they 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 look awesome in a flying mount too. I've seen many people do it that way. So, do whatever uh, whatever looks best to you. But I, my thing is I, I want to be able to put them under glass um, so I don't have to deal with dust and, and issues down the road. But um, cleaning mounts is a whole other topic. We can talk about it another time. Okay, well, what uh, big duck should we move into? Uh, let's go to uh, widgeon. Widgeon, big bad widgeon. Um, so hopefully everybody's heard of the, the famous storm widgeon. Um, that is your ultimate widgeon trophy unless you're getting a eurasian widgeon then then that that counts too but uh with widgeon um there's so the thing is it's not uh, a problem with being plumed out really with them i've shot widgeon in 
early December, you know, late November, early December that, you know, had all their feathers. They don't, they don't go through really an eclipse process. Um, so they've got their colors. It's just, um, whether or not they have pin feathers and pin feathers, uh, for those who don't know are, um, the immature feathers, uh, that are growing in that some people call them blood feathers. They have a blood supply because they're, they're growing, but they tend to not be adhered to the skin. So when you skin them and wash them and get them all prepped to mount, those little, uh, pin feathers tend to fall out. And those, those are, uh, a big problem early in the season. Um, but for widgeon, uh, the, their colors are going to be there no matter what. A lot of people prefer the ones with the solid green stripe on the head. Um, I prefer that as well, but there are, keep in mind, there are other, uh, color phases, not necessarily whether or not it's plumed out, but, uh, there's a gray phase of which in where, um, the, the black and white, the salt and pepper on the face kind of fades into the, the green on the head. And so it's not as apparent, um, still a good bird, maybe not as pretty. Um, but the big, the bad boy, you're, you're going to want to always be on the look for is, uh, widgeon with a completely white head um except for the green stripe and that's what we call a storm widgeon not a different species uh they're not sure if it has to do with age or genetics i would say it's probably both um but it uh by definition unofficial definition it's where the it, the buff color the white in the cotton top comes down around and under the eyes and then down the neck as well um now we had one that was close for you last year, but it was yep. speckled, right? Yep, yep. So, and, and uh, to me, that still counts. If, if you've got white coming around the uh, and below the eyes, I would say any of that counts. I've shot one, one like that, but uh, the majority of the ones I have shot and seen shot are, are just the the regular green stripe guys um now who taught you this why who calls it storm widgeon because every time i talk to somebody they go oh, what <laughs> yeah so um i'm not sure what the exact history on it is um there's a guy that go that's named pat pitt he's a waterfowl legend and he basically knows <clears throat> everything about everything waterfowl and uh I'm trying to remember what he said about it, but it, it was way, way, way back in the day. Um, they would notice um, after big storms or something, those widgeon with the white faces would show up. Probably just a coincidence, but that I, I'm pretty sure that's how they got the name Storm Widgeon. Um, it's a cool name for a cool bird, um, but I can't recall exactly what the what the history is on it. Um, now but Eurasian, that, Eurasian widgeon is that a, that's a different subspecies or is it just a weird genetic yes. thing? Okay. Yeah, it's yeah, it's a different uh, it's a different species. So they're seeing a more and actually um, we were talking about uh, these uh, ornithologists earlier. Um, they've uh, they've recorded several uh, instances of Eurasian widgeon here in Arizona. They're not common, but they're more common in California and Oregon where they're on the coast of, you know, they, in Alaska and, and Italy, and they're all over Europe and Asia. That's why they're called Eurasian widgeon. Um, but they, they're, they're basically the same as the American widgeon. Um, but they tend to not lose their, they, they actually do go through an eclipse plumage phase. Um, and they tend to not lose their eclipse plumage until, uh, mid to late January, sometimes, sometimes in December. But, uh, once they're, 
they're they're feathered out they're feathered out and there's um i'm sure people that are more familiar with them have certain things they look for um but i'd say if you ever shoot a eurasian widgeon i would mount it because you may never get another chance and eurasian widgeons they're they're more purple correct so they have that. That is the Kylo widgeon. Uh, the Eurasian widgeon have more of a. Uh, they look almost exactly like an American widgeon, except the head is like a orangish brick red. They get a cotton top as well, um, and they also sometimes interbreed with American widgeon and get a little bit of a faint green stripe in their head. So they've got the the, the brick red on the head and neck, and then sometimes they'll get the green stripe, um, but. Uh, almost universally, they have a cotton top. Some of them are more pronounced than others, but um, I'd say any any uh, Eurasian widgeon is a good Eurasian widgeon. Okay. So. And uh, pose for the the widgeon. Uh, that's a good, 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 good question. Um, I like uh, just a, a specific pose I like on them is. Uh, they, they tend to be aggressive. So if you look up, uh, just Google image search aggressive widgeon where they, they're kind of fighting off their, their buddies for a mate. Um, and they, they, they cock their wings back and they, they stick their neck out and like basically hiss at, at, uh, the other widgeon. And that's, uh, you'll have to look up a picture to know what I'm talking about, but, uh, it, I think they look cool like that. So like a swimming, standing mount, they do look cool flying as well. Basically anything you do, widgeon are my favorite by far. Yeah, I love shooting widgeon, so. Yeah. Okay, They're what's next? Uh, gadwall. Yeah. So, a gadwall is a gadwall. Um, uh, everybody says they're, they're underappreciated and they are. Um, the, the design and the, the details on the feathers are, are just amazing. But, uh, one thing to look for with them, they share some ancient, um, uh, genes with the falcated duck. And I believe that is an Asian duck as well. Um, but they, they get a purple iridescence. Some of them, not all of them. It's a genetic thing again. Um, get a purple iridescence on kind of on the crown of their head. And some are way better than others. Some are just a little faint amount and some don't have it at all. Uh, so kind of the ultimate trophy is, is, um, one that those genes have kind of gone crazy and, uh, it's like almost a two-tone head where like the crown above the eyes is this dark brown with purple iridescence through it. And then below the eyes on the cheeks, it's like this buff color. Um, I've seen a few pictures of those. They're, they're very rare, but, uh, if you're, if you're, uh, out looking for looking at gadwalls, pay close attention to the, the Drake's heads. Cause that's, that's about the only thing that, uh, is very, variable in that species otherwise you can shoot them from you know mid to late october uh through january and and they'll look the same um just i would i would tend not to save any bird uh until mid to late october uh even into november just for the sake of those pin feathers we talked about earlier yeah i think my favorite part about them is their the white speculum yeah yeah Um, yeah, <clears throat> and uh, sure. I think if I were going to get a you know something uh, a pose of them, I would have something that highlights that speculum, and then the like you said um, from across the room, they might not be that magnificent looking, but when you're three or four feet away from them, those those little gray feathers are 
they are crazy good looking. So yeah, yeah, with the, all the detail that's in them, you have to you have to be up close to see it. But yeah, I, I totally agree. And a lot of people, since they've got kind of those weird wings, like you said, they've got the the brown coverts, upper coverts on the wing, fading into white and sometimes black. Um, a lot of people like to show those off. So. Yeah, Gadwall are another one of my favorites, especially to hunt. They come out of the heavens um, and just dive bomb you. It's it's a lot of fun. Yeah, um, they you know they always there's people that say they go out and they specifically target Gadwall, um, <clears throat> you know, for a particular hunt and whatnot. And I always found that very interesting because um, whenever we're hunting, like we know when the, like okay, oh, hey, there's a group of Gadwall. Like all right, everyone, you know, sit tight and because they're to to me. Once they commit, then they're good to go. But it's mm-hmm. getting them to, you know, getting them past that 400-yard range where it's like they don't know if this is their spot or not. So. Yep. No, I agree. Uh, I have uh, uh, my other Ben friend, uh, Ben Fisher. He's got a, a spot he, he used to take me to back in the day that uh, uh, is basically a gadwall hole. And you can almost guarantee every time you go out, you're going to shoot gadwall off of it. And uh, a lot of times we'll just get to chat and, and not be paying attention, and we'll just have you know groups of three, four, ten, fifteen gadwall just dumping in out of nowhere, and just like it's crazy. It's uh, it's almost like diver hunting, but uh, just these little bitty gadwalls. Um, and then of course everyone's uh, everyone's favorite puddler, the pintail. Oh yeah. Um, uh, obviously. Uh, you want to wait as late as you can to get as much length on that that uh, those two pin feathers on the tail that make up the pintail. Um, the later the later it is, the longer they get. Um, I've seen some that are, you know, the the feather itself not sticking out from the tail, but the feather itself are eight nine inches long. Oh, especially geez. down in, yeah down in Texas they get they get huge because um, they can shoot them till the end of january before they come back up so you, you remember that pintail we found on the rio yeah i do i do what was it and you still you still have that pin yeah 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 what what was the it was like somebody burned it or cleaned it out there i can't remember what it was no it wasn't even cleaned it was just um it was a whole bird and it, it was rotten uh, or it was beginning to rot but it was uh kind of upsetting that somebody would do that to a pintail and i guess didn't you talk to the the warden and they said they had problems with people shooting and leaving ducks and not doing anything with them yeah i think yeah i think so yeah that's sad it's hard to get a good pintail and just to see it go to waste like that is 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 sad but um pintails in general obviously the 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 pin on the tail is what you want to look out for another thing with them um and it's it's just a very picky thing. Uh, most people don't care. The only place they tend to hold um, their eclipse feathers and their immature feathers, even on the oldest birds, um, is in the back. So those those short feathers that go down the rump right before you get to the tail. Mm-hmm. Look for um, feathers that stick out there. Um, they're I call them ladder feathers because they're they're straight um, and they're kind of grayish white and they have um, black bars across them. Um, if there's a few, like I say, you can, you can pull them out and you won't know a difference. Um, but, uh, I've only shot a couple, um, ever that, uh, don't have those ladder feathers on the back. And this is even shooting them in late January. So they're, they're one of the latest 
puddlers to uh, to fully plume out. Um, but of course, you can always choose poses that hide that stuff. And and uh, again, if you shoot a nice pintail with a, a good sprig on it, mount it. I I you know the sprig is nice and all that, but I like the neck. Um, oh yeah, the brown and the gray, the white, like where all that meets, and that's yep. that's my favorite part is, is you know seeing I that totally thing. Agree fully extended out and yep and the the my other favorite part is the uh the scapular feathers those pinstripey feathers long um sharp looking feathers along the back um when they get all fluffed up they're just they're sweet those are that's probably the best part i don't think there's a lot of birds that i would prefer a dead mount on as opposed to a live mount but i think the pintail would be one of them absolutely actually right before uh you called i was looking at a pintail dead mount and thinking that you know because when when they're dead they relax and so all those scapular feathers kind of fall outward and it makes a cool effect with all those little pinstripey deals going every which way yeah and you can have that head and that neck completely um like extended forward hanging down or hanging off something or yep pintail dead mounts are like you say Probably my choice dead mount. I don't typically like them, um, but yeah, I, I I agree. I was actually just thinking that I've got four or five personal pintails in the freezer that I, I need to do something with, and I might uh, end up just doing a big old dead mount with them. You know what I always thought would be a really cool mount is uh, getting like an old Chevy um, back end bumper. Yeah. And uh, having the tailgate down um, and having a bunch of dead mounts hanging off of it. Um, or, or like some, you know, maybe like you just hang it up that way. And I I always thought that'd be like a cool little homage to the, you know, tailgate and, uh, cause every hunt you go on, birds get laid on tailgates and pictures get taken. So, yeah, that's a sweet idea. Um, the, and actually I, uh, I got a, an old, I can't, I don't know what year it is. It's probably fifties or sixties, uh, Chevy tailgate from my grandpa's house actually. Um, and I thought about doing something like that, but then again, I know I'm going to be moving a few more times in the next couple of years. So you got to also yeah. keep that in mind. That'd be a difficult thing to move, but yeah, that's uh that would be the ultimate man cave mount. Cause I know my wife would not let me put that up anywhere in the, the public areas. I think my wife would to draw the line there. So. <laughs> they are the, the, uh, the limiting factor here. You put like a two man limit on uh, the back of a tailgate or something. That is an oh, yeah. expensive taxidermy bill. Oh yeah. Why do you think I got into it myself? So I, <laughs> so I could save money. I'm too cheap. Uh, um, but, uh, yeah, that'd, that'd be something, you know, if you did something like that, you could just keep adding, add to it every year, add one or two a year and just keep watching them pile up. That'd be sweet. Yeah. All, All right, right. After the pintail. Yeah, are there any other uh, puddler ducks you want to talk about? I'm trying to trying to think what else we've got. Um, talked about the good majority of them. There's things like um, tree ducks and yeah and stuff like that that not a lot of people get the chance to hunt. If you do, um, like I say, you should you should just mount it. Um, the problem with those and most other southern birds that stay southern like that and don't migrate north, they almost inevitably have pin feathers year-round. Even if you're shooting them at the end of January, they're going to be full of pin feathers. Yeah. Still, you know, you can still work with them. Um, they still make great mounts, but 
it's just unavoidable with those. So uh, keep that in mind. Um, well, I think the but, one last one that we should hit on, uh, King of Green, you know, um, what makes a good mallard specimen? Oh, yes, duh. Um, mallard. So um, I would say a mallard's a mallard, but uh, if you start looking, um, you get uh, – so when the, the big fat mallards come – down from Canada and everywhere up there. Um, and they start, uh, it starts getting later in the year. Uh, and then they, their hormones are going crazy. So they, they get, they start growing their, their breeding plumage and, and, uh, and all that good stuff. They get those, those bright reddish orange feet as opposed to just like the plain orange, um, and, and the local mallard. Um, so, Keep a lookout for those. Like uh, if you get a big push of birds from the north uh, and you're shooting mallards, just take a look at the feet. It doesn't doesn't make them any more special. Um, it's just something interesting to see, kind of see, you know, where the season's at and where they're at in their breeding cycle. They get uh, a, a more reddish tint. Some people call them northern red legs. Um, some people say it's uh, it's from the cold. It's not. It's it's from the uh, the hormones. The other thing to look at on mallards is the the, the back feathers, the rump right before the tail, um, typically black throughout the season. Um, but then uh, the only thing I've been able to pick out on a mallard that is variable is those rump feathers. Uh, they get uh, green iridescence to them. Um, so that's just that. You, I mean, you have to be close enough to tell and it has to be in the right light. But but that's a good indicator that it's a good, fully mature, fully plumed uh, bird. Um, and then I guess we should talk about its, uh, its buddy, the smiling mallard, the, the shoveler. Mm-hmm. Uh, so these are very, very difficult to get completely 100% fully plumed because of their late eclipse phase. Um, they will almost always hold, um, eclipse feathers, uh, in the neck and chest area, uh, later in the late, 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 late winter, um, early spring. Uh, they will start to get the white chest and neck, um, get a solid green head, and, and get all the colors on the scapular feathers. And, and the, the rufous reddish-brown color on the sides and, and, and breast. Um, but the thing, if, if you are lucky enough to shoot a very, very late-season uh, shoveler, <clears throat> look, for, look in those white areas. Anywhere it's white um, should be uninterrupted by those uh, eclipse feathers. Most of the ones I've seen... Um, almost universally have one or two eclipse feathers. If it doesn't bother you, fine. Um, you can always pull them out, whatever. Um, I've shot one, uh, and that was the one I shot with you, Ben, that didn't have any eclipse. He was fully plumed. Um, so a solid green head and where the areas that are white, those need to be solid white too. And that is a fully plumed bird. Uh, but again, they're, they're very difficult to get. You have to go somewhere south to get them, um, or California. They're all over California. But uh, that about does it for the puddle ducks. Yeah, let's just touch on a few divers before we uh, get on out of here, and I guess we'll choose. <clears throat> I guess we'll go with some of the more common ones. I'd like to know yeah. a ringneck. Um, yeah, so, for sure. So ringneck. A lot of people. I've actually heard people say, why do they call them ringnecks? Um, and they, some people call them ringbills because they've got the, 
the white black and white ring around the bill um and that's because a lot of people don't actually get to see them when they are fully plumed and they this is why they have the name ring neck um they get this brownish reddish brown ring around the neck um in january and it's get it gets some reddish iridescence to it and then the the head gets uh, purple iridescence to it so Mm -hmm. they really uh they really spiff up towards the end of season um Otherwise, you know, they look basically the same. Basically, all divers um, look the same throughout the year. There's just certain certain little things that change about them. They pop um, up or something like that. Yeah. So, so a redhead, you get um, the the purple, reddish purple iridescence in the head. Um, the ring neck, you get the ring around the neck. Um, well, I think the, the coolest part of the ring necks is their bills. Yeah, oh yeah. The definitely. black, gray, and white that all come together on one bill, like yeah. How do you do? You preserve the bill on that, or do you have to just paint match as closely as you can? I don't. Yeah. So that's that's you bring up a good point in why that I stressed earlier to wrap the the bill and feet in wet paper towels to preserve that so the painting can be as accurate as possible. It's very difficult to paint that and and have it look good, um, but basically. I, I only use, and most people only use artificial heads um, that are casted from from real duck heads, and then we just paint them up. Um, but yeah, that uh, ring necks and uh, redheads, uh, the bills on them are cool. Oh yeah. And, uh, I I haven't figured out exactly what it is on the redhead, but sometimes the bill will be bright blue, sometimes it will be dull gray. I don't know if it has to do with testosterone or um, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know, but uh, yeah, they're, they're, they've got some cool bills. Um, a scop is a scop. You'll get that. You'll get purple iridescence in the the lesser scop, and uh, green iridescence in the greater scop uh, towards the end of the season. But um, they're they look good kind of during the whole season. Um, actually, I take that back. At the very end of season, the most mature. I mean, I'm talking like 5% of greater scop get fully white side pocket feathers. And those are those, again, those feathers on the sides that they tuck their wings into. Um, it's very hard to find one that doesn't have a, a dark brown or a, a light brown or, or a dirty gray uh, side pocket. Um, I've been after one for years. I haven't, I've only seen a couple um, lesser scops tend to hold all of that um those dirty feathers in there too so they they don't look as great but they look good flying when you can you can hide that um and then the 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 big daddy canvas back uh, yeah yeah so these are i i would say the last bird of them all of all the duck species um to fully feather out so Early in season, you get the the grayish, the gray on the back, um, and the gray in the wings, and uh, the head and neck don't really change much. But uh, as you get to the later season, they turn more white on the backs, um, and the biggest, most mature ones have uh, white in their wings as well. So sometimes you'll see them with uh, uh, a white back and then gray wings, and that's that's a that's a fully plumed. Uh, less mature bird so like and i i think i read they don't get the full white 
on their back and wings until they're like six or eight years old. Really? Um, yeah. So, but the reason I say that they're the, they're the last to plume out, it's, uh, it's, it's also almost inevitable, kind of like the tree ducks, um, that they're going to have pin feathers and they usually hold them in their head and neck. Um, and that's kind of a bad place to have them because if they fall out, then you've, you've got some spots that are, they're very hard to cover up. Sure. So, um, you, you can definitely get good mounts out of uh, birds, uh, out of canvas backs that are shot uh, from November on. But the absolute best ones, the big, big, big white ones, um, you really don't see until January. And if, if I'm if I'm wanting a trophy mount uh, or one that I'd take to competition, I would go for the very last day of season at sundown. So it has as much time as possible to get rid of all those pin feathers. So you don't run into problems, but uh, otherwise the the divers basically, you know, stay the same. They just get a little bit better towards the end of season, um, yeah. and then and then the geese. Just real quick on the geese, um, early goose season, people shoot Canadas and uh, one mounted. I would highly recommend against it because they are completely full of pin feathers from head to tail. And they're already a mess to work with, and then you get those those uh, those pin feathers, and it's just it's not fun. I would um, I would wait until at least mid to late October, November, before you uh, get a Canada goose mounted. Um, and that goes for it goes for basically all of them. It's rare to shoot snow geese in the in the fall, although we've done it. Um, I would it just in every goose species, I would wait. Um, don't don't get the first bird of the year mounted. Wait a few weeks um, until it gets really cold, and they 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 force those pin feathers to mature um, for insulation, and then uh, shoot them, kill them, kill them all. <laughs> so you know, ever since you started taxidermy and whatnot, I, su- I suppose it's been almost a plague to you because mm-hmm. uh, <clears throat> you add this whole other thing to your hunting where. Yep. You're not even shooting at some groups and, you know, you're you're calling off shots or, you know, you don't do that, that finishing cripple shot. And Yep. <laughs> you, you are actually 100% correct. And I tell I tell people this a lot that it's it's basically ruined me. Um, I'm super selective on, on what I do shoot. Um, I, I do go out and hunt, uh, you know, season opener and a few times. Um throughout the season until like December and January, but that's, I don't usually start really hunting until late December through January. So I can get those most prime birds. And a lot of people say, how do you shoot? How do you shoot such good birds all the time? How do you get such great specimens? And that's, that's basically how I do it. I just, I spot and stock and, um, I'm very selective. Uh, but it comes at the expense of, you know, some people think a truck full of birds is, is a good hunt. I think, a uh, fully primed canvas back is a great hunt. So to each their own, but, uh, it, uh, it has also ruined me in the sense that I'm, I'm never satisfied with the birds I do get. Um, there's a couple that I'm like, yeah, this, like a blue wing teal I shot in Texas last year. Um, I, it had blue that went down the back and it, um, there's no way, uh, they could get better than this. This is a hundred percent bird and and so i'll keep this one but i I mean i've got two freezers full of birds that 
that I'm kind of him hawing around on. Do I want to mount this or wait for a better one? So taxidermy is fun. I get to see a lot of cool, cool birds that I wouldn't maybe normally get to see, you know, hybrids and, and, uh, and stuff like that. And, but it's, uh, it's kind of a, a play, as you say, for, uh, hunting experience. Yeah. So, okay, here's a question for you. Your favorite bird harvested, like your number one bird that you've ever taken yourself. Um, that would be hands down, um, mallard redhead hybrid that I shot. When was that? Probably four. No, 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 no. Yeah. Three years ago. Yeah. Four years ago, maybe. Um, I shot it. Uh, I actually went out to Western Nebraska, uh, because Eastern Nebraska already closed their season and this was like late January. Um, and a group of four Drake mallards came in, um, and gave a look, but didn't commit. But when they passed by, I noticed one had a blue bill and I took me a second. I was like, ah, that's weird. And then I was like, oh crap, that's a, that's a mallard pintail hybrid. So I, I focused, I didn't take my eye off of it as it swung around. And, um, as soon as it came back, uh, luckily I shot it and didn't miss. Um, and, uh, picked it up and uh, what the hell is this? It was, uh, had like this purple head and, uh, bright blue bill, big giant yellow feet. Is the in the the green on the speculum, whereas uh, mallards are typically uh, uh, blue, and I I couldn't figure out what the heck it was. So I I, uh, I had typical taxidermist. I uh, I took a blow dryer to it to kind of fluff it up and get all the water off of it, so I could really look at it and tell what it was. Um, <laughs> and uh, I sent some pictures to some ornithologist buddies, and uh, the consensus was it was either a mallard and scop hybrid or a mallard red red uh redhead hybrid and it turns out a couple people have shot almost identical birds um in the past there's a, a hybrid bird study out of the university of washington that has a couple specimens um so we just compared it to that and it turns out it's a, a mallard redhead hybrid which had no idea could even exist um but uh Redheads are kind of parasitic nesters, it sounds like. Mm. Um, so, you know, it, there could have been a, a redhead drake hatched with uh, a bunch of mallards and grew up and thought he was a mallard and mated with a mallard hen. And uh, that's I, I can't explain how it came about, but uh, very interesting. I've only seen – there's historic record of, I think, maybe three others. Um, and then I saw last year somebody else had shot one, so that makes five now that I that I know about. Right, um, that's pretty I, special, I actually. Yeah, so of course that's mounted. And I I talked to my dad, as um, he used to just hunt back in the day to eat basically. And uh, I was like, did you guys did you not have hybrids back then? Why don't Why don't we see like these old hybrids mounted? And and why don't people talk about them? And he's like, yeah, we just thought it was a weird looking mallard and ate it. So I can imagine there's been several more shot uh, that nobody thought twice about, but that uh, that's by far my favorite bird. 
and I don't, I don't know if I can really top that. So we'll see. Each season, uh, look forward to the weird crap I'm going to see while I'm out, and uh, and hopefully harvest. Um, yeah. yeah. Um. So down, you know, down in Arizona this year, how many days do you think you're going to be able to get out with work? So our season opens um, this coming weekend. And luckily, the my schedule right now, I'm not working weekends. Um, and then I work, I think, every other weekend uh, towards the end of season. So I'll definitely get out um, definitely get out on the weekends as much as possible. And there's, there's a few opportunities where I'll be getting off early. And so I may go uh, what we call tank jumping here. They've got uh, these man-made um, little ponds out in the desert. Uh, that catch rainwater and they call them tanks and, and those tend to hold ducks, uh, in the winter. So I may, may be able to do a little bit of extra shooting that way. Awesome. Um, yeah. So we'll see how it goes. I'll keep you updated. And, um, I may, uh, after you, you, uh, post this, I may do a video of how to, uh, just uh, so people can see how to, how to prep a bird for the taxidermist. So oh, sure. you can put that up. Absolutely. And, uh, that way we can guarantee a few more people are doing it right. You did one with uh, Matt and High Prairie Sportsman, didn't you? Yeah. Yes, I did. We'll, yep. just, we'll just throw Maybe that one. Yeah. Yeah, there we go. Perfect. So, Matt, if you're listening, well, I know you're listening, but go ahead and post that video right now. Just pause. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, yeah, okay, so I always ask I ask every guest this, and um, I want to know yours as well. Um, you only get to go on one more hunt your entire life. Um, waterfowl hunt. Where are you going? Uh, who are you going with? What's the weather like? What's the season? You know, paint me a picture. So, um, ooh, that's a good question. Um, I can't, I can't beat the 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 hunting in the Midwest. Um, but if I were to go on on one more hunt ever. Uh, I would say it would be in the Aleutian Islands, um, Island X in Alaska, uh, for sea ducks. I, I'm, I think sea ducks are cool. I think they're interesting. I, if I never shoot one, oh well, but I think that hunt, um, where you're, where you're basically, uh, in a layout boat on the ocean trying not to drown, uh, while getting hammered with, uh, king eiders and harlequin and, uh, long tail ducks and, and all those, um, in a big, like sea storm, I guess. Uh, oh, yeah. I think that would very, be, that rom- would be the very ultimate. romantic picture there. So, yes, very, the, the ultimate manhunt. Like the, 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 was that commercial with Tony Vandemore with, uh, SB3, I think, um, where he's just sitting up against the black rocks shooting king eiders. Yeah. Yep. 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 It, so. it looks like a blast, and it sounds like uh, the hunt is very dependent on the sea conditions out there. So you'd have to hit it right, but that would be that would be the ultimate, I think, uh, hunt to prove you're a man. <laughs> awesome. Well, all right, Tony, I appreciate you coming out and uh, well, I mean, coming on to the to the podcast. I know you're a busy guy, and uh, I, for those of you that don't know, I actually overslept this morning and uh, missed the first time. Thankfully, Tony uh, has you know overslept on me a couple times. So. 
Many times. That's all right. That's that's why I didn't get upset because uh, I know I've done the same to you. <laughs> that's good. Well, I'm excited for you to. I hopefully you can swing back up here uh, sometime over you know the holidays or something like that. We can get a a hunt yeah. in and yeah. yeah. I'm definitely. I'm I'm, I'm hoping to. I, unfortunately, I won't know until uh, right before. Uh, but if uh, you'll be the first to know if I if I get the chance to come back up there and do a goose hunt or something, oh, kind of yeah. big late season hunt. Yep, absolutely. So. All, right, All right, brother. You uh, you enjoy the rest of your Sunday, and um, you know, tell your wife and that little one hi for me. And uh, yeah. All right. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Yep. And uh, hopefully, somebody learned something from this. <laughs> I'm sure they did. I did. So Good. All right. But. Well, mission accomplished. I want to give a huge shout-out, um, like we always do during this time, um, to our uh, partners. Um, so we got uh, Hunt Hickory Creek, which if you're not familiar with Hunt Hickory Creek, that's Chase and Cody and Scotty and Megan. They're all in the group, and uh, these are a good group of people. Um, I talked to at least one of them, mostly Chase, um, at least two or three times a week, uh, whether it's deer hunting or talking about birds or, or just, uh, you know, rubbing in the uh, fantasy football smack talk and, and all that stuff. Anyways, hey, don't try, you don't put your money in something that you can't first validate or like get to know or, you know, something like that. You can get in there. You can literally see what uh, you're going to be getting out there in the blind uh, with, you know, these guys and these guides. So go check them out. Good people, even uh, better uh, uh, people to go hunt with. So, uh, we've also got Dive Bomb Industries and Dive Bomb Industries, um, you know, they've been, they did a lot of good work for us and uh, put a lot of our listeners into um, some really affordable spreads. And I am just pumped to um, get out and start targeting some some big ducks with uh, with my spread that we're all set up with over here, and I just really you know excited to put the the 2D um, you know ideology um, to the to the test. So, all right, we've also got Toe Tags LLC. Uh, you don't. You guys heard Ryan's story. And if you haven't heard Ryan's story, go check it out. Um, episode 23. Uh, but anyways, just check out. Go look for the uh, Toe Tags LLC story. Um, you know, we whether or not you want to argue that it is actually a you know regulation or an enforceable law or anything. I mean, the law is the law. And I don't, I'm not going to put myself... Uh, in a position, uh, at least anymore, uh, to where I can be, you know, whether or not I get a ticket is at the discretion of the, you know, investigating officer or, or um, you know, uh, however things are going that day. So um, just for a couple cents a day uh, or hunt, I should say, you can be fully taken care of. You already spent all the money on the gas and stuff. So go tag your birds and make sure you're not throwing them in a big old pile and, uh, yeah, go ahead and stay legal with Toe Tags LLC. We've also got Gypsum Creek Retrievers. Evan over there um, in Gypsum with a creek running, you know, through the back of his yard um, is running a awesome little uh, kennel. Uh, and 
I got to go out and I got to go hunt with his flagship dog and um, got to see the way that he interacts with um, that dog and just the way he talks about you know his business and his dogs and uh, the people dog he's training like it's it's uh, it's, it's really humbling to see a guy who's like so ate up with it and uh, is just in it and he's just doing it out of passion and decided to make his passion something that can put you know um, dinner on the table and it's a heck of a heck of a deal oh uh, we've also got athlon optics um, athlon optics go check these guys out um, they have some of the finest shooting scopes uh, on the market and their binoculars are bang up um, literally they are the same quality as something that you'd pay two or three times the price of and they're just a solid um feeling binocular and uh, it's it's nice you know i'm not going to do any direct comparisons out there but uh, i've held a lot of binoculars in my time and i'm very satisfied with these uh, with these ones so go check them out at athlon optics i've got the the midas uh 10 by 42 uh, and it is suiting my needs perfectly out here um, in Kansas. All right. Um, next, we've got um, freelance hunt stats. Uh, I've, I've always logged and tracked all the birds that we've harvested and whatnot, but it wasn't until Elliot showed me his freelance hunt stats uh, at freelancehuntstats.com that it's not just a journal anymore. Now it's a database. Now I can go through and I can filter um, all the stuff that I want to know, uh, you know, windy days, cloudy days, uh, days I shot all blue winged teal, like things, things of that nature. And, um, even by location and it's super affordable, you know, uh, just don't buy one monster this month or one Starbucks coffee and you've got yourself, um, what you need to keep track plus super helpful when you go to fill out those hit permits so all right uh we've also got duck nuts Uh, that's d-u-k-n-u-t-z um and if you haven't seen the videos or pictures of me uh utilizing these things yet uh i freaking hate um dealing with texas rigs and i take out a lot of new hunters and i always end up i'm always sitting there untangling stuff or unwrapping keels and uh instead with these duck nuts you just throw them on there and all you gotta do is literally you just stretch out the line or you can slide the the weight um all the way towards the decoy or down and you just throw these things in a bag it's awesome hey they even came out with a uh a carrying uh, it always seems that my wife is always walking in whenever i'm doing the duck nuts uh commercial because she's just looking at me because she thinks it's hilarious uh but they just came out with a bag and it's called the nut sack and uh it is it's pretty cool you can strap your shotgun to it um they've also got hats um too and uh for my boy wilson listening out there uh hunter over at uh, duck nuts he made a hat just for you buddy um and all you other coot shooters out there so um but yeah so good stuff go check them out uh just a really great product. Uh, we've also got the DuckTech mobile app. And the DuckTech mobile app is an app that's designed 
to help you get better at calling ducks. Um, it literally, it's got Barney Califf on there, a uh, two or three time uh, world duck calling champion. And he does the, the call, tells you what it's for, why to do it, when to do it. And then you can actually go in and press record, record yourself, and then you can hear it side by side so you can see how you want to tweak it up. Pretty cool concept. Uh, a lot of times, you know, you're just dealing with like a DVD or, or some other, you know, like, here's the sounds, now make this sound. And that's not this right here. This is something that you can do on your commute. So, pretty sweet. All right. Next, we've got, um, we got Gunner Kennels. And uh, Gunner Kennels, if you have never laid your hands on a Gunner Kennel, uh probably some of the finest uh, craftsmanship or over example of overbuilding um, something and that's perfect that's fine with me you know my wife she loves those things because um, it keeps the babies safe uh, the, the fur babies and at the end of the day you're kind of charged with the responsibility of uh, that animal's life, and you know, I wear my seatbelt. I don't text and drive. Um, why am I gonna like just throw my dog in the back of the back of the truck to, you know, be in uh, jeopardy if something were to happen? Uh, and then uh, newest partner uh, that I want that I'm super excited to get you guys into is HTR Innovations. That's H-T-R, like Hunter, uh, Innovations. And they've got the coolest little thing. Um, It's a stand that you can put out in the marsh that holds your gun, um, holds my recording equipment, box of shells, all this other stuff. Check it out on the Instagram uh, page. Uh, They've also got an A-frame blind uh, that they come out with that is super simple to set up. Um, just like stupid simple. And then they've got, uh, for you guys that absolutely hate layout blinds, they've got a layout blind insert and makes that thing just about as comfy as the living room couch. So go check them out. Um, and then last but not least, we've got SRB field rests. So you hiked into this muddy field, set out all your decoys, had your bag ready to go with your gun in it, and then you take your gun out and you just set it in the mud, or you you know you're constantly making sure that you you know don't fumble this thing around. These two little stakes from SRB Field Rest, stick them there, lay your gun down on them. You didn't come this far to like jam your your gun up with a little bit of mud because you got excited about some some geese uh, in your face, so. That was really dramatic. I have a little bit of a stuffy nose, it sounds like. but Alright. We just want to let you guys know. These companies are the bee's knees. Um, these are cool people. Great people. I, like, I'm not just throwing them on here so that I can take up your time and you know make money or whatever it is. I believe in these products. I believe in these people. And uh, I'm a huge fan of somebody turning their passion into their everyday job so that they can try to escape some sort of um, nine to five where somebody else is their boss. Uh, 
and I'm a huge, huge fan of that. Um, you know, trying to do that myself. So, yep. Before you know, think twice before you buy uh, uh, something. Um, you know, similar to these, and you know, they, they help bring you this show. And so, if you like this show, if you like it to be around. <coughs> you know, um, check these people out. So, all right, everybody, safe hunting. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of the Fowl Front Waterfowl Podcast. Please come join us on our Facebook group, the Fowl Front Waterfowl Podcast group, where you can connect with a good group of hunters because we're all in this together. We need to act like it so that hopefully our great-great-grandkids will be hunting ducks over our favorite public lands. Uh, We also ask that you go ahead and give us a written review on iTunes and give us five stars if you think we deserve it. And we really do want to hear back from you uh, so that we can give you the best possible content. And if you get in on that Facebook group, you can get in there and you can ask questions and you can tell us what you want to hear next or you can tell us uh, what you don't like. And we'll be sure to tailor things to our listeners. So, all right. Stay safe out there and we will see you next week. Hey, you ever been sitting in front of your TV just wondering why you can't catch the latest episode of The Foul Front right there in your living room so you can impress all your guests and family with your fine taste and podcast listening? Me neither. But hey, as a part of the Waypoint Outdoor Collective, you can now find The Foul Front and some other great podcasts on your Apple TV, your Roku, your Amazon Fire Stick, Smart TV, even your gaming console just by downloading the Waypoint app. And heck, while you're there, they got over 2,500 hunting and fishing shows on demand. Go download the Waypoint app today. Brave anglers search for the one they call king, but who will take his throne? Tune in to Waypoint TV's Battle for Silver, Saturday, May 18th from 12 to 6 p.m. Eastern. Presented by Abyss Battery, Waypoint TV. A life that has the stories to back it. A life to be proud of. It's a Winchester life. Yeah, baby, 6-8 Western. Oh, I'll be over there, baby, right there. Tune in every Tuesday at 7 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV.